Welcome, friends. You are listening to the podcast for First Christian Church in Fort Myers, Florida. To learn more, join us online at fccfm.org. It is a blessing to be able to share God's Word with you today. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. I am so excited to be here with you today. This is the final week of our series called Zip It. And if you have ever accidentally hurt someone with subtle gossip, this series has been for you If you've ever told a little white lie that has come back to haunt you, then this series has been for you. And if you have ever found yourself just grumbling and complaining, anybody find yourself there? You're just grumbling and complaining. This series is for you. I'm, I'm so glad you're here today. I'm so glad you are joining us online because I believe we all need to learn to zip it. At least I need to learn to zip it. Maybe, just maybe, you do too. Philippians chapter two, verses 12 through 15 says this. It's the apostle Paul speaking. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his Good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation and then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have spoken to us through your creation, through your people, through your word, through Jesus. May we use our words to honor you, to build others up, to share your grace with friends and strangers and even our enemies. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you ever wonder if we complain just a little too much? We complain about the weather, we complain about the temperature, we complain about the culture, we complain about politics, We complain about the economy. Anybody complained about gas prices lately? I remember having knee surgery several years back and and I was complaining about my physical therapy. And I am so spoiled. They were trying to help me and I was complaining. And we complain about everything. You know, somebody sent me an anonymous note years ago. It said, pastor needs a better handshake. I think maybe they were talking about the pastor in another church. I don't know, but we tend to complain about everything. Sometimes I actually think we like to complain. Janice and I will, will go out to dinner and, and, and we have a date night every week and it's as if, if we don't have something to complain about, then we don't have anything to talk about. Like we don't know how to communicate if we don't have something over which to commiserate. And so we'll sit there and we'll say, so how was your day? Fine. And how was your day? It was okay. And then we sit quiet for for another minute or two and then one of us will say, are you doing okay lately? Anything I need to know about? Can I help you with anything? Are we good? The other of us will say, no, I, I think everything is okay. And then we'll sit quiet for a minute or two and, and, then, and then one of us will start up. Can you believe... And then we complain about something 
And then the conversation takes off. After we find something to complain about, then the conversation takes off. We have to have something to criticize. We have to have something over which to commiserate, something to grumble about in order to communicate. Anybody with me? If we're being really honest, anybody who likes to complain, any of you like me, any of you do that, maybe you're not married, maybe you have a significant other, maybe you complain with them, maybe you're single. Nothing wrong with being single. You complain to your best friends. Do you do that? Don't you hate that? Now, I don't want it to sound like complaining is always a bad thing. It's not. If no one complained about injustice, would we be a society seeking justice? Moving toward justice? Could you imagine if nobody had complained about colonial English taxes? Could you imagine if no one complained about slavery in America or racism? Sometimes complaints catalyze positive change, and that's a good thing. And so complaining isn't always a bad thing. The question is, when does it become a bad thing? Perhaps complaining becomes a bad thing when it hurts rather than helps. Perhaps it becomes a bad thing when it becomes your default mode. Complaining about politics has become a default mode for some of you. Perhaps complaining becomes a bad thing when, when you enjoy doing it. Perhaps it becomes a bad thing when you're just pushing your own agenda. Perhaps it becomes a bad thing when you're trying to control other people's behavior. Perhaps it becomes a bad thing when it damages your relationships. Perhaps complaining becomes a bad thing when it damages your health. Did you know that complaining is actually bad for your health? A half an hour of daily complaining physically damages a person's brain according to research from Stanford University. Whether you are the one griping or the one listening, exposure to negativity peels back the neurons in your hippocampus, which is the part of your brain used for problem solving and cognitive function. And then what happens over time is complaining becomes a habit, it becomes an addiction, and if you're surrounded by complainers, you're actually more likely to become a complainer. As a society, we complain too much, but more importantly, we don't complain effectively, says Guy Winch. He's a PhD. He's the author of a book about complaining called The Squeaky Wheel. We have lost a sense of what complaining is for, he writes. Instead, we use it as an exercise for venting, and that has consequences. See, research has found that 95% of consumers, 95% who have a problem with the product, don't actually complain to the company who made the product. Instead, they complain to eight to 16 other people and it's unproductive because they're not complaining to the people who can resolve their problem. You say, well, I don't actually complain. I just, I just need to vent sometimes. You ever said that? I just need to vent. Quote, venting floods the bloodstream with cortisol, the stress hormone. We tell ourselves that we need to get it off our chest, but each time we do, we get upset all over again. We end up 10 to 12 times more aggravated. Now that's what the psychologists and the researchers say, but there's a more important question. And the more important question is, what does God say? And what does God's word say? Does God's word say anything about complaining? 
The truth is the Bible doesn't actually often use that particular word, at least not in a condescending way we do, but it does use the word grumbling quite a bit. And in the same way we use the words complaining and criticizing. In fact, in our opening scripture for today, we read the words of the Apostle Paul who said to the following to the, to the Christians in Philippi, said, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now, whenever Paul or any other biblical author, for that matter, tells his reader to do something or not to do something, then you have to ask yourself, why is he saying that? Why is he writing that? Why is Paul telling his, his readers, and particularly these first century Philippian Christians, to do everything without grumbling and complaining? I mean, Paul isn't just, just sitting around trying to think up helpful things that he can write. Paul's actually responding to something already happening. There was something already happening in the Philippian church that compelled Paul to tell the church to do everything without grumbling or complaining. So why did Paul write the letter to the Philippians? Well, Paul may have written this letter to encourage persecuted Christians in Philippi to stay the course. That seems to be one of his themes. Also, Paul may have written a letter to show the Philippian Christians how to have and maintain joy in their life regardless of their circumstances. That seems to be another one of Paul's themes. But I think the primary reason for Paul writing the letter to the Philippians is because there were two competing factions within the church. The church was split between two groups. The church was divided into two camps. And one faction was led by a woman named Yodia. And the other faction was led by a woman named Syntyche. Philippians chapter 4 verse 2 says, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in, in the Lord. You see, there was a division in the church that led, much to, that led to much grumbling and complaining and arguing in the church that hurt the spirit of the church and the culture of the church and the momentum of the church and the witness of the church. And I have to wonder if we have any Yodias and Syntyches in our church today. People who like to be critical of one another, who like to gossip, about one another, who like to complain about one another, who like to talk about one another. Maybe today, Yodi and Sintiki would be grumbling about masks and social distancing. Maybe one feels safe with the mask, the other grumbles about it. Maybe Paul would say, respect each other and love each other and don't criticize each other and don't mistreat each other and don't judge each other. Honestly, I'm not sure how Paul would frame it for us today, but I believe his ancient words to Yodia and Syntyche in the Philippian church still apply to us today. So what are his words exactly? There are three things that he tells us to do in the text. First of all, Paul tells us to work on ourselves, not everybody else. And while we may want to worry about everybody else's salvation, everybody else's devotion, everybody else's spirituality and maturity, Paul tells us to worry about, to work out our own salvation. Philippians chapter two, 
Verses 12 and 13 says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, some people have trouble with this verse. Maybe you have trouble with this verse. Like if if God saves you and if you don't save yourself and if you can't earn your salvation, if salvation is a free gift, it's a gift of grace, not works. And why does Paul tell us to work out our own salvation? Well, I think to properly understand verse 12, you have to do two things. First of all, you have to put the emphasis on your rather than salvation. And the second is you have to read it along with verse 13, which clearly states that it's actually God who is doing the work. It's God who works in you. So think of it like this. The lady Yodia is complaining about the lady Syntyche. Maybe she's saying that that Syntyche is too fake. I don't know. Maybe she's saying that Syntyche has some hidden sins in her life. Maybe she's saying that, that Syntyche is a gossip and shouldn't be in leadership. Maybe she's saying Syntyche has a goofy name. I don't know, but she does. That would be kind of hypocritical of Yodia, wouldn't it? Personally, I've discovered that people who complain a lot are also hypocritical a lot. And so Paul says to Yodia, he says, you know what? You need to work on yourself, not on Syntyche. God will work on Syntyche, you work on yourself. Maybe this is Paul paraphrasing Jesus saying, first take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Paul is not saying we have to work hard enough to earn our own salvation. That would be a misunderstanding of this verse as well as Paul's other teachings. Paul is saying that we need to stop criticizing, stop gossiping about, stop complaining about everybody else and their issues and focus on our own issues. Paul is saying that God is gonna work in me to change me and so I don't need to sit in judgment on you because I can trust that God is gonna work in you to change you. Do we trust God to do what he says he's gonna do? God says he's gonna bring about his will in our lives and his will in the lives of other believers and so we need to let him do his work rather than interfering with his work or thinking we have to do his work for him. And so the first thing Paul tells us is to work on ourselves, not everybody else. Second thing Paul tells us is to do everything without grumbling. Now the word for grumbling in Philippians 2.14 is really the perfect word for our discussion today. It means to utter in a low voice, to murmur, to mutter, to express discontent, and especially to do so quietly, or here's the key, secretly. It's like the quote from the researcher we read a few minutes ago. Research has found that 95% of consumers who have a problem with the product don't complain to the company, but tell eight to 16 other people. And that kind of complaining is unproductive because we're not complaining to the people who can resolve our problem. The point of this word for grumble or complain is that you go to everyone but the one you have a problem with. Do you ever do that? Secretly express discontent, not go to the source. 
If researchers say 95% of complaints don't go to the source, then 95% of complaints are useless. In fact, they're not just useless, they're worse than useless because while they cannot create positive change, they can create discontent and distrust. And I gotta tell you, sometimes I fear the modern American church is known more for its grumbling than its good deed doing. More for its negativity than its positivity, more for what it's against than what it's for. It's almost like we've had our way for so long. Now that we're not always getting our way, or you might say often getting our way, we just grumble and we complain and we grab onto a sky is falling spirit that runs counter to our calling. Or or worse yet, we engage in culture wars completely counter to the ways of Christ. And how can we be known for our grace if all we do is grumble? How can we be known for mercy if we are mean-spirited online or otherwise? How can we be known for our humility if our words are hurting others? How can we be known for our love if we embrace a spirit of rancor? How can we be known for our positivity if we're constantly negative? And how can we ever reach people who are far from God if we are constantly fighting them in culture wars? The answer is we can't. And we won't. And that brings us to the third thing Paul indicates in these verses. Paul tells us that our expressions of joy will make us shine. Our grace and our mercy, our hopefulness and our helpfulness, our encouragement and our positive words, rather than our grumbling, our arguing and complaining, that will be what sets us apart from this world. Our expressions of joy will draw the world to Jesus. Once again, Philippians 2, 14 and 15, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation. Then, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. And you gotta love the emphasis there. Do everything without grumbling. Why? So that, Paul says, so that, so that. Everybody say, so that. So that you may become blameless. Nobody will be able to blame you for anything if you're a joyful person. Then you, Paul says, then you, then you. Everybody say, then you. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. When you learn to do everything without grumbling and arguing, when you learn to rejoice in all circumstances, then you will shine like stars. Then you will stand out in the world. Then you will draw the world to Jesus. Now, let me make an important point about expressing joy. When we talk about expressing joy, we're contrasting that with grumbling and complaining. We're saying, uh, we're saying as opposed to grumbling and complaining. We're not saying that you have to fake happiness when you're sad. We're not saying you have to pretend everything is good when you're grieving. We're not saying you have to put on a smiley face even if you're struggling. We're just saying you have to learn to do everything without complaining. 
When we talk about being joyful, we're not talking about putting on a mask to conceal reality. We're talking about the hopefulness we can have whatever our reality is at that moment. When my parents passed away, I was sad, but I did not grieve without hope. I have hope that God will always do what's best for the living and for the dead. And I have hope, I believe I will see my parents again. I have an old friend who used to say, whenever he was going through a hard time, he would say, I'm just trying to discover whatever it is God wants to teach me. He didn't pretend everything was fine, but he was hopeful that he would grow. So what's the point? How do Paul's thoughts from Philippians chapter two, verses 12 through 15 add up? Well, they add up to our big idea for today. Here's our big idea. If you will do everything without grumbling, you will do great things for God. If you will do everything without grumbling, then you will do great things for God and consequently for others. I mean, could you imagine how your marriage might grow if there were no grumbling? Could you imagine how peaceful your home might be if there were less arguing? I got four kids, that's hard for me to imagine. But I can imagine. Could you imagine how much more enjoyable your work might be if there were less complaining? Could, could you imagine how much more boring the newscast would be? If there were no more grumbling, criticizing, or complaining? I mean, would you even watch it if it were all positive? If you'll do everything without grumbling, then you'll do great things for God. And I don't know about you, but I wanna do great things for God. I wanna do great things for God. I wanna, I wanna build up his world because it is his world and I wanna build up his church and I wanna build up people and I wanna build a better spirit in my home and in my relationships and in our church and in our community and in our world by being more encouraging. And the fact that I actually enjoy, and I'm just confessing to you that I enjoy grumbling and complaining, it shows how spiritually sick my heart can be. Perhaps it shows the same for you too. But we can live and we can move and we can breathe and we can eat and we can love and we can make love even. We can enjoy our lives despite all the frustration and devastation and heartbreak and division around us because we have faith in God. Because we trust in Jesus, we can maintain a joyful and encouraging spirit because we have faith in God, because we trust in Jesus, we can be different than this hateful and hostile and deceived and divided world around us because we have faith in God, because we trust in Jesus. We don't have to get so angry and so upset when things don't go our way, personally, socially, politically, whatever, we don't have to get so angry because we have faith in God, because we trust in Jesus. And so that's it. As we learn to zip it, week number one, get a grip on your gossip. Week number two, flee your compulsion to fib and tell lies 
Week number three, get over your grumbling and do great things for God. Next week, we're gonna kick off our October sermon series. It's called Spiritual Theme, uh, Spiritual Things. It's gonna be themed off the television show Stranger Things. And we're gonna discover what the Bible says about heaven and hell, the book of Revelation, angels and demons, the Holy Spirit. We're gonna talk about baptism. It's gonna be a great series. Phenomenal opportunity for you to invite your friends to church. Really interesting stuff we're gonna be dealing with. If you've been online for a while, great opportunity to come back to in-person services. We now have multiple services, plenty of room for you to be here safely. Spiritual things kicks off next week. But here's our takeaway for today. Here's what I'm asking you to do today. Something tangible that you can take home and say, I can do that. Find something to celebrate every day this week. Every day, so I'm gonna celebrate one thing and put that out on social media. Like today, your, your thing might be, man, church was really great today. You just go post that on social media, right? Maybe your lunch after church is gonna be great. Post that. Find something to celebrate every day. If you're not on social media, well, you can talk to a friend, you can text them, you can FaceTime them, give them a phone call, maybe take them out to coffee to find something to celebrate every day this week. And don't just find it, speak it. Because when you speak encouragement and life and celebration, what happens is you share your faith in God, you show your trust in Jesus, and you bless those around you. And the thing is, if we're always rejoicing, and if we're always encouraging, we won't ever have to zip it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to speak words of life and hope and encouragement into our relationships, into our church, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces. Help us to get away from gossip. Help us to get over our grumbling. Help us to run from our compulsion to stretch the truth, make us look better or feel better. Lord, forgive us. We confess the struggle to you. And we thank you for your mercy and grace you've given us the death and resurrection of Jesus. We pray this prayer in his name. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If we can pray for you or encourage you in any capacity, please let us know at FCCFM.org.